This is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week, we'll be reviewing John's non-list pick, The Iron Giant, which was released in 1999. So, Dan, start us off with some box office stats. All right. So, this uh, animated film, it had a $70 million budget. It opened with $5 million. Uh, domestically, it had a total of $23 million with an additional $20 million internationally. So... Didn't make its uh, money back from its budget, but as far as awards, it had 20 wins and 18 nominations. It has eight stars on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes has it really high at a 96%, and then the ID percent for audience score. Which I think is really cool that the critics rated it just as high, if not higher, than the audience in this situation. Yeah, and it's well-deserved, I feel. So, Nadine, you have some interesting movie facts for us. I do. Um, So, just as a heads up before I start the interesting movie facts, uh, John and I are a little down today. I got told no for a puppy twice. (laughs) And then, and John's sick because John's a big baby. Yeah, pretty much. I love you, John. (laughs) Thanks. All right. So, to get started for the interesting facts, Brad Bird was in part inspired to make this movie as a memorial to his sister Susan, who died at the hands of her husband by gun violence. His pitch was, what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun? I'm also going to be commenting on this when we get to talking about the movie, but we'll get there. Um, So the last name for Annie Hogarth Hughes is a homage to Ted Hughes, author of the original children's book upon which the movie is based. This film is set in 1957, the same year Brad Bird was born. Excluding the yells and groans, the Iron Giant only says a total of 53 words. First traditionally animated feature to have a major character, the title character, who was fully computer generated. Although the movie received high praise from critics, it was deemed a box office failure grossing only $23 million after a reported $70 million budget. The low earnings were partly due to the fact that the film had its nationwide debut on the same day, August 6, 1999, as the successful The Sixth Sense. This is definitely one of those movies where if it was a really standalone, it would have done very, very well. Right. Right. More than likely, yeah. <laughs> um, the 1999 film is based on a novel, The Iron Man. The author of the, author of the novel, Ted Hughes, who bears the same name as the character Annie, as we just went over, uh, wrote the novel as a way of comforting his children after the suicide of their mother, Sylvia Plath. Um, and yes, that Sylvia Plath, just so you know. <laughs> the U.S. Army, as seen in the film, is accurately depicted in its mid-late 1950s form, including the jo- choice of vehicles, weapons, and the appearance of the soldier, the later impressively down to the cut and style of uniform. Peter Cullen, Sean Connery, Frank Walker, and James Earl Jones were considered to voice the role of the Iron Giant, but it went to Vin Diesel instead. The three tendrils emanating from the Iron Giant in battle form are inspired by The War of the Worlds from 1953, which I believe is also a cult classic, so we'll probably be watching it at some point in time down the road. According to Brad Bird in the documentary The Giant's Dream, Warner Bros. failed to promote the film until four months before its release, whereas the animated film Tarzan had teasers out one year in advance. Um, So I imagine that and the fact that it came out at the same time as The Sixth Sense is probably the reason why the movie didn't do so hot and when it was in the theater. So aggravating. Yeah, because it is a really decent movie for kids and for adults, which I'm really happy to say 
Totoro I loved as a kid, can't watch as an adult. This movie I could watch over and over again and actually still be pretty happy with it. This was originally meant to be a musical, which I would have uh, hated and I would not have ever watched this movie oh again. <laughs> it would have been an entirely different style of a movie if it was a musical. So I'm I'm curious to see what it would have been like if it was, but we'll never know. Well, I'm glad that we'll never know. So Pete wow, Townsend... Okay. <laughs> So Pete Townsend and Des McAnuff developed it as a stage musical using songs from Pete Townsend's concept album, The Iron Man. Much like the stage version of The Who's Tommy 1975, Des McAnuff decided it would work better as an animated feature and pitch it to Warner Bros. The newspaper headline that Dean McCoppin is reading, Disaster Seen as Catastrophe Looms, is similar to the headline that Jim Deere is reading in Lady and the Tramp, and that Jiminy Cricket is reading in Fun and Fancy Free. First animated movie for which Jennifer Aniston actually did voice acting in. John hit us with the synopsis, which is kind of long, and I'm very sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. I'll be taking my time with it. Don't worry. Um, so... Uh, This movie, The Iron Giant, starts with a satellite orbiting Earth when all of a sudden a fiery comet flies by going straight for the planet. The scene then shifts to show a man who uh, in his ship lost his way at sea during a storm and is radioing for help. Just as the man says he sees the lighthouse, he sees the lighthouse, he crashes into the Iron Giant and is then knocked unconscious by a giant wave. When he regains consciousness, he finds himself in the rocks surrounding the lighthouse. The scene then shifts to the next day as Hogarth, the main character, arrives at his mother's work to beg her to let him keep a squirrel. As he convinces his mom to at least meet the squirrel, he realizes that it escapes from the box that he actually had it in. As Hogarth tries to catch it without his mother noticing, it runs under the table of a man named Dean, then up his pant leg. Dean then opens up his pants to let the squirrel and the pandemonium ensues in the diner, which is a very funny scene. I was not expecting that in a kid's movie. That night, while home alone, because his mom has to work late, Hogarth's TV signal goes out and he climbs up to the roof to investigate. While on the roof, he finds a path of destruction from his antenna to the woods behind his house and decides to follow it. At the end of the path in the woods, Hogarth finds a giant robot eating metal at a power plant. As the robot eats, he gets electrocuted, and Hogarth saves him by turning off the power. When the giant goes to get up, Hogarth runs away and flags down a passing car that ends up being his mother. The next day, a government official named Kent Mansley is seen at the power plant the giant was at the previous night to investigate. The plant manager tells Kent that he doesn't believe the damage done to the plant was done by natural causes, you know, obviously, because at first... Kent doesn't believe him until he gets into his car and finds out that half of it had been eaten. It was a nice little bite mark on the car. Kent then freaks out and goes to get the plant manager to show him, but when they reach the car again, it's gone. The scene then shifts to show Hogarth in the woods trying to draw out the big robot with metal so he could take a picture. As he waits for the robot to show, he falls asleep, and when he wakes, he finds the piece of metal placed behind him with a giant robot staring at him. At first, Hogarth freaks out and runs away until he runs to a tree and realizes the robot's not actually trying to hurt him. The two then bond over Hogarth, teaching him, you know, the meaning of words. As it gets dark, Hogarth goes to leave for home, but the giant follows him to train tracks. Thinking the tracks are food, the giant lifts the tracks to eat them, and Hogarth panics and has the giant put them back together, resulting in the train hitting the giant, because 
the giant was very specific on how he wanted to put the trains back, to, the tracks back. Hogarth then allows the giant to follow him home to avoid trouble and hides him in his barn. While the giant puts himself back together, Kent Mansley hears about the train accident and goes to investigate. After seeing the damage, he decides to call his boss general, Rogard, to report his findings and heads to Hogarth's house as it is the closest phone. While there, Kent tells the general what he's found, and the general laughs at him and hangs up. Angry that he was ignored and laughed at, Kent leaves after getting Hogarth's and his mother's name. As he laughs about Hogarth's name, he realizes it's the name on the BB gun left at the power plant from when Hogarth was there, and immediately goes back to the house to question Hogarth. When he gets back to the Hughes house, Kent gives Hogarth his BB gun back, and Miss Hughes con you know, confirms it's Hogarth's, and that he was at the power plant. Hogarth denies seeing anything and sends Kent on his way. As he drives away, Kent lets him know he'll see them soon. After Kent leaves again, Hogarth goes to the bar to talk to the giant and tells him about superheroes. As they talk about Superman, the giant's stomach grumbles, so Hogarth decides to take him to the junkyard to eat. The giant, excited to get to eat, accidentally sets off a car alarm alerting the scrapyard owner, Dean, my favorite character. Dean runs out with a crowbar, but once he recognizes Hogarth, he puts it down and lets the kid in. After loading Hogarth up on caffeine, Dean hears another noise outside and runs out to find the metal giant eating more scraps. At first, Dean freaks out, but once Hogarth shows how nice the giant actually is, Dean's, you know, surprisingly just okay with it. Hogarth then convinces Dean to let the giant stay in his junkyard before Hogarth leaves for home. Once home... Hogarth finds that Kent has rented a room at his house to watch Hogarth. The entire day after that, Kent was relentless with his questions to Hogarth, keeping him from leaving to see the giant. Finally, his mom convinces Hogarth to take Kent out around the town. The two end up at an ice cream shop where Hogarth puts Chocolax in Kent's ice cream. Hilarious scene, once again. Once Kent runs to the bathroom, Hogarth makes his escape to the junkyard. At the junkyard, Hogarth finds that Dean is making the giant make metal sculptures with them, and is upset because he thinks it's lame. When, while Hogarth shows Dean how to do cooler stuff with the giant, Kent is, Kent is investigating the random sightings of the giant. During his search, Kent comes across Hogarth's camera he left the day he was trying to take pictures of the giant. Kent then takes the pictures and develops them in secret in the Hughes bathroom, which is a very weird scene as well. A lot of, a lot of weird things about this movie. Um, the scene then switches to show Hogarth and the giant in the woods interacting with the deer. After a few moments, the deer runs off, and then the two hear a gunshot. The two go to investigate and find the deer dead with two hunters nearby. Once the hunter sees them, they run off, and Hogarth left to explain to the giant what death is and that guns are bad. When the giant sees the gun, his eyes go red for a minute before they go back to normal. That night, when Hogarth gets home... He's locked into the barn by Kent, who forces Hogarth to tell him where the giant is by threatening to have him taken from his mother. Hogarth breaks down and tells Kent where the giant is. After getting what he needed, Kent chloroforms Hogarth, and the screen melts to black. When Hogarth wakes up, he finds himself in bed as he hears Kent tell the general about the giant. After hearing Kent, Hogarth tries to escape, but Kent stops him and tells him the army arrives in the morning. The rest of the night, Hogarth and Kent watch each other until Kent finally falls asleep. When Kent wakes up, he finds Hogarth was actually already out of bed, and Miss Hughes is complaining that the army is in her front yard. The scene then shifts to show the army arriving at Dean's scrapyard, asking for where the giant is. Dean then shows them to the giant, who's dressed up as one of Dean's sculptures. 
The general believes the bluff and reams Kent for his stupidity and wasting, you know, governmental tax dollars before having everyone leave Dean's scrapyard. After the army leaves, Hogarth and the giant are pretending to be superheroes battling when Hogarth shoots his toy gun. The giant's eyes become red and he shoots at Hogarth, almost killing him. Dean yells at the giant for almost killing Dean and tells him he's a gun. The giant then becomes upset and runs away with Hogarth following. When they leave, Dean realizes the giant was just reacting to the gun defense and helps Hogarth find him. The scene then switches to show two boys watching the giant walk in the woods just outside of town. The boys fall from leaning too far on the roof and the giant sees this and rushes to save them. As this is happening, Hogarth and Dean are rushing by the army vehicles leaving, causing Kent to look back at them as they pass by. When Kent does this, he sees the giant and causes an accident that draws the army's attention to the giant in town. When Hogarth and Dean arrive in town, the giant declares that he is not a gun and picks up Hogarth right before getting shot at by the army. The giant then tries running away from the army to keep Hogarth safe as Dean and Mrs. Hughes beg for, the, beg for Kent to stop shooting. Instead of listening, Kent lies and says the giant killed Hogarth, but in reality, Hogarth was just injured. Thinking that Hogarth is dead, the giant freaks out and starts fighting back with the army until Hogarth comes to, comes to stop him from killing anyone. Realizing that Kent lied, the general stops the attack on the giant and stops the missile from being fired at the giant. Um, Kent freaks out and takes the walkie-talkie from the general to order the missile strike. After realizing that he ordered the missile on not only the whole town, but himself as well, Kent tries to leave and ends up getting arrested. The giant then decides to sacrifice himself by flying out of town so the missile will follow him so the town stays safe. The scene then shifts to the next fall as Dean and Mrs. Hughes admire the statue Dean built to commemorate the giant. Dean then gives Hogarth a screw from the giant, the one, the one that was uh, holding his jaw in on the scene from before, that the general sent to him and the three leave the park. That night, Hogarth is woken up by the screw beeping and trying to get out of the window to get back to the giant. Hogarth lets it go, knowing that it means the giant is alive. The final scene in the movie depicts the giant pulling himself back together in Iceland. Guys, I just want to tell you, I love this movie. This was such a pleasant, relaxing movie to watch. Oh, it was relaxing? And it was relaxing. I, I, I like this I loved movie it. a lot, too. Yeah, I like, mean, I liked it the way that, but I wouldn't call it relaxing. So, with this movie, right, um, I guess this also goes with the fact that, you know, us three, we all grew up on 2D animation, mostly, except for Nadine with her weird um, cult classics. But, um, Dan, I suppose you grew up on, like, Disney and 2D animations? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, right? So, to me, this came out, and this is one of the very first Disney, well, not really Disney, but Disney-esque movies that I watch, even though I know it's Warner Bros., um, and it started me up on that, like, uh, 2D, uh, 2D animated film craze. And I, from this movie, I ended up watching other stuff like Treasure Planet, another great movie. Um, you know, obviously, like, the Disney ones, like Lion King and things like that. But this movie in particular holds a very, very, very good spot um, in, in basically my list of movies that I like. Because it was actually one of the first ones that I watched. And by me saying it's relaxing, it's because I actually knew hands down what this movie was going to be the moment I watched it. So it was yeah. very relaxing. It's very, it's wholesome. It's funny. And there's some, there's some really like wow moments in there. Like, but 
keeping in mind that the movie was set in the 1950s, that actually kind of makes sense that it's kind of like that, you know? So, yeah. I just, I'm full of appreciation for this movie, but I'm going to let Nadine rant about it. Nadine, <laughs> go ahead. All right, so I have a lot of things in this that I pulled from articles, and I linked the articles oh, and all of that. <laughs> Um, I do want to say right out that this movie was criticized. It had a lot of controversy when it came out because um, they thought it was anti-gun. It wasn't necessarily anti-gun. I believe it was more anti-gun violence, um, but because those are kind of two separate ideas. But I think it also has a lot of other things that it was hitting on that ended up getting missed that I feel like the director and a lot of other people who wrote articles about it uh, also think that a lot of people missed on. So I think the movie was definitely a depiction of uh, finding yourself um, and you showing that you choose who you are. And it's throughout the entire movie that this is a thing. Like the giant um, is went in the beginning and like when they're in the barn, Hogarth and the giant, and they're talking about comics, like Hogarth starts showing him comments. He shows him Superman, the giant sees the giant robot, that's Tomino, who's supposed to be the villain, and Hogarth says, well, you're not a bad guy, you're like Superman. The giant continuously chooses to be Superman. He even pretends it when they're playing. He just chooses not to be a gun when he says, I'm not a gun, when Dean and Hogarth finally find him in the town. So it's really a depiction, I feel like, of him proving that he himself is choosing not to be bad but to be good instead um you, yeah, yeah. i do want to mention on that too nadine you said there's a lot of growth for yeah. this and it's not it, every character i say except for you know the minor ones have some form of growth right well not kent, kent. is a negative growth kent has a negative growth he goes well, from being just this you know brick dude to as you wrote here being afraid of the unknown well, and no. basically melting down, so he's got negative growth. Kent necessarily wasn't necessarily growth, because it, even in a negative way, Kent was there to make a point. Kent was there to show you that what can happen when you let fear consume you. He yeah. came in, he became, he thought it was ridiculous what the, the guy said to him at, like, the power plant. Half his car was eaten, and he became obsessed. He thought it was like a danger to the United States. And you got to think this is the time and period where they did have like, you know, yeah, the this, scare. Mm -hmm. It was right after World War II, all of that. So I understand the mindset that he was in. But instead of letting himself think rationally, taking a step back and trying to see if maybe this may have been more. Oh, no, this, was thing, a, this was at the height of the Cold War. Which is why they were so antsy yeah. about right. it. Like, not I the said, latter ends, but, but the very beginning of it, yeah. But yeah, well, that, the, the red point scare. is he let fear let him live there. Right, mm -hmm. I, that, that's what the red scare is. It's part of the Cold War. Yeah. Anyway, he let fear control him instead of thinking rationally. The general, despite the fact that they were in the Cold War, like you said, they were afraid of people who were foreign of the other he was able to think rationally when he saw that the giant actually was trying to protect Hogarth. Kent couldn't. He got to the point where his fear consumed him to the point that he almost killed an entire town, including himself, simply because he was so afraid of something that he couldn't understand that he wasn't willing to rationalize it. 
And I feel like this movie is like a perfect example of what happens when you allow that to happen. Oh, yeah. Yep. And there's to branch off a little bit from that, too, Nadine. Um, there's a like each character, you're right, except for Kent and side characters, actually do have some point of growth. Um, they do. Like, I just, and it's it's really interesting. Like, one, for example, is Dean. He is an artist that lives in a junkyard and he's basically washed up. And the only thing he has to turn to is he makes metal art at a junkyard, which, by the way, seems like to be, to me, one of the most entertaining things to do in my life. And I want his job in every possible way. But, you know, he's just, that's just what he does. And then by the very, very end of the movie, you know, he's literally clean. He's, uh, he's become a renowned artist in that town, I suppose. And he's, and, you know, he makes statues and does things. Like, there's growth to that. And for Hogarth, for example, um, he's just a little kid that, you know, nobody believes what he, what he says. And he's bullied in school. Um, even though there was only like that one small section of a scene about you know him in school watching, of course, the uh, the Soviet, um, the Red Scare, and all that stuff, and what to what to do in a nuclear bomb, which by the way, one of the best things I've ever seen um, was the dis depiction of uh, hiding under a desk that could save you from a nuclear bomb. Um, pretty accurate though, as far as like what. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they did yeah. though. But he had growth too. He went from you know being this uh this basically this bullied kid that doesn't really know what to do with himself, and you know ends up well experiencing someone else's growth and is you know amazed by it. And it's just it's a very there's a lot of wholesome things about this movie that really you can just you can only really get from a two D film if that makes sense. Because it's it's hard to describe it better than that. Most of the most of it comes from the fact that this is a two D film. Um, Dan, I gotta ask you. Yeah. What were your thoughts on this, man? What were your thoughts on this movie? So going back to like what you were saying earlier, like for whatever reason, this kind of escaped my childhood. I remember seeing like commercials for this movie. I remember hearing about this movie, but I I for whatever reason I just never sat down and watched it. But. I, I again it transformed me back into like my kid years and just I felt good watching like a, a heartfelt no, story a about a boy, like finding this robot and like the robot just wants to be a good guy even though he was somehow programmed to like destroy guns but and I on that on that too um you guys Please tell me it's the most obvious part of this movie, but there's a nice little dent in the uh, robot's skull, right? Yeah. And when he lost it, the the dent actually popped back out, and he gained his uh, he regained his warlike capabilities because he's from outer space, you know. Yeah. And then he eventually chose otherwise, but I still, you know, I just wanted to add that on there to what you were saying because you were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I, I like the story. Um, I, I love the, the Dean character and just kind of how he... We all we all like, want to be a Dean to, when like we grow I, up, man. I feel like that's the guy you want to be when you grow up, just just cool. Like, He's vibing. Kind of, kind He's of vibing. still has, like, in his in touch with his imagination. 
and all, all is kind of he's, he's, he's been broken you know so yeah. he's just so i don't care about anything anymore yeah and that's like wow everyone wants to be one day just like uh it's not that big of a deal it doesn't phase me you know a 150 yeah. foot giant robot that's eating the trash and the metal out of my junkyard yeah yeah that freaks me out a little bit but you know give me four hours and yeah. i'll recover and also like i think at watching this as an adult i still did appreciate because as, as nadine was kind of going into like there is a lot of messages about kind of uh, not living in your fear and and kind of what can happen if you do just get consumed by fear and unravel and get unraveled by it. So I think it's a great movie uh, to watch as a kid. It's it speaks to children, but it also has a lot of good messaging and like you can appreciate it as an adult. Oh yeah. And I... you know, that's why I was like go ahead, Nadine. Oh no, I was gonna say something very long. So go ahead first, and then I'll go. <laughs> I was just wow. Okay, um, I was just gonna say that's why I was absolutely amazed because I didn't look up any stats about this movie. I just watched it and appreciated it and moved on, like what I do with most movies. Um, so when I saw the stats of this movie, I was actually kind of amazed because this this movie is such a big part of my childhood. Yeah, I don't see how it, it takes at the box, box office. People just don't remember it. It's like a fever dream of a movie for so many people. It just freaks me out. Like, when I think of Iron Giant, I think of everything about this movie and how nice it is. Other people yeah. are like, yeah, that's a, I've heard of it. <laughs> you know? All right, Nadine, give us the long-winded thing. I did want to read. It's, I'm calling it an excerpt. It's like a good portion of the article, but not the whole article. It's not, um, I don't 100% agree what the guy is saying, but I do see his points that he's making. And I thought this was pretty interesting. It also shows, it also talks about scenes that were cut out of the movie that they put in at different points. Um, but the article's title, uh, Everyone Misunderstood Brad Bird's The Iron Giant, which is not about guns, it's about sin. And I thought this was an interesting enough point that I should, I might as well just, you know, bring it up uh, so that we could kind of like see where, you know, some of the Christian critics kind of think of it. Um, so I'll read it. Originally released a decade after the fall of the Berlin Wall, Brad Bird's The Iron Giant was praised as an anti-war, anti-gun fable or less frequently damned for being the same. Set in a coastal main town at the height of the Red Scare, the movie updates and revises the era's own cinematic nightmares from alien invasion to nuclear holocaust. 17 years later, the movie The Director's Cut, of which was released this week, which this was released like a couple years ago, has been enshrined as a cult classic, an animated children's flick that gives their parents plenty to think about and cry over. But with the Cold War now more of a distant memory than half-healed wound, the movie looks very different, especially in the light of Brad Bird's subsequent career. Um, and then it goes to go on and say, like, you know, it is a lot of it has to do with, you know, the self. But I thought this was interesting. Let's see if I can find this. Of course. Uh, so here I thought that this was pretty good. The framework that is most helpful is contextualizing the giant goes back way before the Cold War. This is really a story about the dark side of human nature, or more specifically about sin. The movie explicitly frames the giant as a Christ figure, and it's which I don't agree with, and its final yeah. act, complete with a luminous cross hanging in the heavens, and it sets up a kind of um Ma Manichian, I can't say it, dualism and I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that one I'm having a hard time with. In the form of comic books, Hogarth shows the giant. One cover depicts Tamo, the metal menace. The other shows Superman. Perhaps not surprisingly, Christian critics seem to 
be the only ones to have written about this aspect at length. Probably because no one else sees this in it, but I thought it was interesting enough because I would have never seen this because I'm not really Christian, uh, but I thought it was interesting enough to bring up. So the giant's earthly rebirth doesn't erase his past evils, and they still have to be atoned for, even if they weren't committed by choice. You are who you choose to be, Hogarth advises him, and the giant chooses to be Superman. And so I thought that was pretty interesting that they kind of put that in there as something that they thought. I don't know why, but that just kind of bothers me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't the, agree the, with it either. The, the luminous cross hanging in the heavens, you do realize that's the North Star, right? Right. <laughs> that's not the cross. Yeah. Like, um, that, okay, that's, that's a pretty hard stretch. I can see why they'd want to go that way, but this is a kid's movie. But I guess if it's a movie that makes you think that much about it, I guess it won in some direction, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I can see it, but I, I think, I mean, there, if that's what you take it. out of the movie, it's, it's what you take out of the movie. I honestly thought it was, it's but, not, like, I totally don't agree with him. I don't think it's about sin. I think it's about fear and finding self and growth. Um, but I can see where if that's like, that's how you want to put it and that's what you take out of it. Or I can kind of see where in some instances they might see that. But for the most part, I can't see it. But I thought it was like an, an so out there thought that like I had to at least mention it once. I also thought that it was really cool that in this article, they also mentioned a restored dream sequence from the giant himself. So I'll read that part. So the restored dream sequence, which shows the giant walking in lockstep with dozens of identical robots, might fitfully bolster the idea that he's a communist stand-in. But it's only when he's separated from the collective that the giant's nature becomes clear. At least on Earth, he's like one of the extraordinary heroes who populate the birds' incredibles Ratatouille and Tomorrowland, and like them, he's eventually called upon to save save the self-destructive masses from themselves. And so that part I thought was interesting, because I never actually saw an interesting fact about the dream sequence, but I'm sure if I actually looked hard, I could probably find the copy that actually has that dream sequence included in the movie. I don't really, I was going to say, um, I don't think that was on the, uh, was on the one that I watched on Hulu or HBO. No, this is the extended edition where they have it in. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I only remember the standard one. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense why they'd remove something like that from a, uh, like that's that's a pretty dark addition to this already somewhat dark lighthearted movie. yet mildly dark movie. Yeah. Yeah, for kids. Yeah. And that's a that's one thing that I think differs for everyone. When someone watches like one of these kids' movies as an adult and hasn't watched it as a kid, they they typically tend to be a lot more judgmental of the movie. And this movie, as well, you just said, Nadine, once it got re-released, what was it, like 2016 is what you said? 17 years after the movie was actually released? Something um, like that, yeah. And it picked traction back up again. Yeah, something like that. All of a sudden, you have people that are criticizing the movie. Um, and I think that just that, that just goes to show that, like, at a heart, this movie really is a kid's movie. I don't think it was originally meant to be one of those adult movies that you can watch with your kids. It was supposed to be a kid movie that, you know, the adults can watch and appreciate, you know? So it's this is at the height of the 90s when a lot of animated uh, movies or, you know, films or even series were doing this because 
that's what the future was looking to be. It was supposed to be, you know, everyone huddled around the TV and the kids watching their shows and the, you know, adults just appreciating it because it's funny or it has a lot of adult humor to it. Not that that's the case nowadays. I don't really want to discuss kids stuff nowadays. That freaks me out. Some of them aren't that bad, but, but it, most that of them are part, bad. This, yeah, like like Adventure Time, for example. That's one of them. That's not that bad. But even then, that one's kind of getting older, quote unquote. Um, yeah. But at but just to show, like at heart, this is a kids movie, and when you delve really deep into it, you can definitely find some stuff which the director had hit on purpose. But at the same time, I don't think he really wanted people to go and try and do that. Like, trying to do, like, the, the Christian viewpoint in this movie. There was only one scene in the entire movie that had any bit of Christianity in it, and that's where he was praying. The scene where the you know, Hogarth's praying and trying to hide the robot's actions and what he's doing, you know, behind. And, you know, it's like... There's so many hints to things in this movie that were happening. You know, the height of the Cold War, the religious aspect, the, uh, well, like, the nepotism in the military. Like, there's so many things that it was showing mildly. But that's not the point of the movie, if, if that yeah. kind of makes sense. No, it totally yeah, makes because sense. Because there's small details versus, versus, like, the overarching themes. Yeah, so like... There's, it's already a great movie, but now that it has all of these little extra spices and seasonings in the soup, it makes it a lot more filling, you know? That's, I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, I, could, I could rant about that all day, but like, whenever I see stuff where it's like the Iron Giant is, a, is not a good movie, which I have seen, it pisses me off. <laughs> like, you and I will never see eye to eye from this point forward. <laughs> so, I also wanted to think, I also wanted to point this out, I thought this was pretty cool. If you don't really realize it at first, I think because I have to watch it two times back to back that I end up picking on the like shit like this. But Dean says to Hogarth, you are who you choose to be before Hogarth ever says that to the giant. When Hogarth and the giant go to the scrapyard and Dean finds him out there and he loads him up on caffeine, he talks about, you know, the bullies bullying him and all that stuff. And he Dean actually says that to him. Right before, it was literally right before he hears the sound and he runs out. So, like, you would miss it if you're not noticing it. But I love that Hogarth threw himself based off of the uh, advice that Dean gave to him. And then that he passed that advice down onto the giant, who obviously the story is mainly focused around. And it seems, it, it, I feel like, like that is like a really cool, small little tidbit that it shows that you can learn from other people as well. But it's like barely even there. You know what I mean? What makes a good movie, Nadine, I 100% agree with you on this. But what makes a really good movie is when you find tidbits like that early on that are then referenced again later on. And then suddenly it becomes extremely important. And right. It, you know, later on, you'll hear it over and over and over again, or you'll see it happen, and it doesn't really click too much. But if you paid attention slightly earlier in the movie, suddenly it becomes a very crucial part of the story. So, you know, I like, for example, Hogarth's appreciation of animals. If he didn't have that, you know, that that mild little thing in the beginning that could just be seen as a character feature ended up being the reason why he, uh, you know, he cared for the Iron Giant so much. You know, 
they found it as a friend when all the other people that he talked to normally didn't treat him like that. So there's just so many small tidbits just like that and what you mentioned, Nadine, that really makes this movie a, a good, like, full circle type of movie. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what immediately made me connect to this movie, that opening scene where he's he's trying to convince his mom to have a pet squirrel and then, like, he tells Dean not to wig out and Dean's like, all right, I'll play along as long as I can because the, the squirrel's literally, like, going to my pants. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's it's a feel good movie for me. Yeah, and you know one thing too. Uh, can I just say that like in the very beginning of the movie, you know, a single mother she got bashed for being a single mother. Um, then at the end of the movie, um, she's married his you know his mom. She's married, hinted at, or in a relationship with, um, Dean. And I'm like, I like that a lot. I- just, just a minor <laughs> thing that does nothing to the movie whatsoever. But, like, but I feel like almost every movie in this like era, animated nineties, two thousands era, it's not like even animated. Just happy like endings, or... Yeah, just that happy ending thing. I don't know what happened to. Why are all the happy endings gone? Have you guys noticed because that? They did it too in much recent in years, the 90s. movies have just gotten darker and darker. They did it too much no, in the nineties. Happy endings are a good thing. Like, come Way on. Too much. No, sometimes but you want it. Sometimes just, you want it to just be a shitty ending because you've seen too many good endings, and it makes you feel a little bit better on the inside. Yeah, it's it's the recoil of all, all recoil of like all the millennials now making movies that are going against the movies they watched growing up. It's like, oh yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just like, look at me, I'm different. And then in yeah. reality, there's a movie just like they made in the 1960s. They just don't really notice it. Yeah, but I just I thought it was like really really wholesome at the end. He's like, he just calls Dean. She calls Dean honey, and I'm just like, oh, I need this little bit of floweriness in my life. Yeah, it's like just a a two-second scene, but it was so good. It's like they don't like kind of beat your head over with like it being like this like romantic moment. It was just like, oh, they're married now. Okay, there's no wedding or something. There's nothing over the top. It's just it's there, and you you accept it. I like it. I also like how detailed they got with Kent's character too, because I know he was there for a reason. He was there as like this person just should like is the example of what happens when you let fear consume you. But, like, he did a lot of fucked up shit, even in a kid's movie. Like, he chloroformed a kid, you know? He locked him and threatened He locked him in a barn and threatened yeah. to have him taken away from his mother. Like, that's fucked up shit. That's mentally he, damaging. He rented, he, rented in a, he rented a room with a mother who's struggling to make, you know, to make ends meet just so he could keep an eye on a child. That's If that's not creepy <laughs> well there was one joke he made in the beginning that like i i kind of like had to take take myself out for a moment he was when it was like oh the only thing big in this town is the, is the homecoming queen i'm like wait what 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 does that even mean he also wasn't he like really like trash talking like subtly um yeah. hogarth's mom he's a complete douche <laughs> he's a shitty he's not he a good a person yeah and like I love, I love that he like instead of trying to like protect Hogarth at all in any way, shape, or form when the army was shooting at the giant, he was like, "I'll see what I can do." Lied to the mom's face, lied to Dean's face. Whenever the general was like, "Giant killed the kid," we gotta kill it. Like, like he's like, "Fuck the kid's life." 
I'll kill him. Yeah, fuck well, this twelve year old. Who cares about? It? I chloroformed him a while ago. I don't care about his life. Shoot him. Like, like good God. God. Like, dude, I'm not the biggest fan of kids. Like, I, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with them. I just like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a kid. Not liking kids and chloroforming them to get information. For real. But like, this man is is fucked up, right? Like, even I could be like, that's that's fucked. You, you're you're a step away from a psychopath, sir. Are you like trying to hide some secrets here that you're not telling us? Like, what's going on? So when you have a character like that, right? The evil as can be, but subtly evil. It really only shows at the very, very end when it starts getting real bad, especially for kids, right? Um, right. You got to admit, there's pleasure in just seeing this man just devolve and get ruined by every character around him slowly, right? Like when uh when when Hogarth put Chocolax on his um on his smooth on his uh shake as he's trying to extort information out of the poor child. And then literally for the, like the next five minutes of scenes, he's repeatedly having to go to the bathroom. Like it, it's just it's fucking hilarious. I also love that like I noticed this too, that they were in a fucking ice cream shop when he went on his rant. And it's like one of those conspiracy theorist rants that I feel like just fell out of his lips. And he was like threateningly yelling and like getting really up in the face of like a fucking 12 year old, this grown ass man. And the only reason why he stopped is because he almost shit his pants. If you <laughs> noticed as well in that scene, all of the people in the shop had stopped what they were doing. Weren't looking at him directly. But he was side side glancing at him repeatedly, right? Just to add actually, to that, like that's just they never they do anything, never, which is pretty normal. Yeah, but, but like I was like, "Holy shit, guys! Come on, get it together! What's happening here?" So I I, I want to mention this because if I don't mention this, um, we're gonna completely forget. But two things about this movie, outside of you know the acting. The voice acting and the character development and well the writing itself the animation style was way too smooth for a it was really smooth it was very freaky smooth. smooth right and you know even when even now like when i look at like damn good disney movies from the 90s this movie's still smoother like lion king was a really good movie right it, it actually wasn't as smooth animation-wise as this movie, which is weird to me. And I guess that makes sense because it's nine years older, but still. Not, like, oh, but... it's, it's, because, so this was Warner Brothers that did this, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it, and... two years pri- prior, they had another cult classic, which we are going to be watching because I love this movie, Anastasia. In 1997. If yes! Look, my favorite! That is my look, other favorite movie. If you look at the animation in that movie and the one in, in The Iron Giant, and you look at how smooth both of those are, and then you compare them to the to Disney 90s, I'm just going to say Warner Brothers at that time was killing it when it came to the mm-hmm. 2D animation style. Um, yeah, they were but... It was crazy smooth for both of them. And Disney didn't yeah. end up catching up for that till much later. And that's, you know, I just, that right there, like, especially when you see an old animation, be it foreign animation or a unique animation style or 
just a really well-made animation style from something that's quote-unquote older. For for you and I, it's not really that old, really. Um, but just a slightly older animation style that still holds very well two decades later shows something. The next thing is the compositions, the musical compositions in this movie. I, I don't can think listen I paid attention to, to that. <laughs> And that's that's something I want to say. Like, whenever you think of animated films, and I was actually leading to that, Nadine. Whenever you think of animated films, uh, I guess, you know, we would think of stuff like Frozen. Lion Everyone King. knows every fucking song from Frozen. Lion the King. Lion King. Lion Princess King and the it. Frog. You know? No, you, Lion King. <laughs> you know these music. The Lion King. Yes, my favorite movie. That's um, that's the one that did it for me. But, Every time I listen to see that movie, I'm like, "Yep, I got all the words. Don't worry." Yeah, but but that, that, like those are musicals. Yeah, this Do movie you know has anyone that like, isn't a musical that no. you can remember the music from? No, obviously, because it's not meant to do that. It's background music. I'm talking about Nadine stuff. I actually pay attention to. It was so I, good. Yeah, oh. it, it was it was amazing. Like the the score for this movie, I, I definitely fell in love with. Dude, I can I, I legitimately have a playlist on Spotify for it. I I do. I'm okay. Okay, I'm, I'm gushing too much, but oh, it's Michael Kamen. Is the uh, is the person's name that did the score of this movie? How do you spell that last? And name? it's just it's really really well done. K A M E N. Michael Kamen. Just a, I'm kind of curious fact. what else he had. You want to come up too? I, I was a, a fun correction. Um, Anastasia was Fox Studios, and oh, it was Fox. This was Warner okay. Brothers, but well, it's but it's still, a, like, it's not Disney or it, Pixar. You know what? Anastasia is now Disney because I'm pretty sure Fox was bought out by Disney, was it not? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so Anastasia is the Disney princess now. Eat a dick. Yeah. Um, he did. I, he did. Uh, okay. by the way, he did the musical compositions to Die Hard. Um, makes he sense, did it. Sense. Yeah, and I'm trying to see some Lethal some weapon. other ones they did. Wait, did 101 Dalmatians, The Avengers. Robin Hood, Prince of the Thieves, 1991. A, A. And, and and then he died in 2003. It, he also wow. did. He also did the first daughter, the one with Katie Holmes. Oh, he did Pink Floyd, The Wall. It was a collaboration with Pink Floyd. That makes sense. Well, but no, the music composition was really good. The animation style is very unique in this movie. Not unique for the time period, but like. The little segment in between with uh with like the Fallout stuff reminded me of Fallout the Fallout Boy from Fallout like the game franchise. I thought that was so neat. Um, but it, it stayed true to what was in the nineteen fifties as well. The accuracy of the film, which you mentioned as well, but the uniforms were actually fucking accurate. How many movies have you watched where the military uniforms have something really stupid on them, or things are in the wrong spot? You know, the like, attention to detail in this movie, the small things. Yeah. It's just, it's really, really good. I, I just, ah, this movie! You know, I, I can't wait to hear uh, 
in, in all honesty, Nadine, like, this is my, my prime time when it comes to movies, right? Is being able to watch animated movies. I can't wait to see Dan's response and hear it for Star Wars, which is coming up next time. Oh my yeah, god. I'm, uh, I'm like nervous about that one. Okay, so you haven't know. done the interesting facts yet, and I'm literally gonna like, I'm gonna take over and you're gonna be mad because I'm gonna miss things and you're an actual Star Wars fan, so you need to get on that shit. You need to get on that shit yesterday. That's what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, you know what? Wanna... You should just test them, you know? The, the, Dan, you should just test her, see what she knows, and if she doesn't know enough, get rid of her. <laughs> I, no, I, I know I, a little, I, but not as much as he does. No, I'm, well, I, I. It's not my favorite. Since your dog's in this weekend, I'm gonna have like a complete Star Wars nerd, nerd out moment, and I'll get the interesting facts out there. And that's fine. Okay. I, right. I'm completely okay with that. Um, but long to to kind of put the matter to rest, Nadine. This movie is for me one of my favorite animated movies, um, and it will be forever. Because I grew up on this movie, I watched it again, nothing changed, and I still appreciate it, just like the day I, you know, I watched it 10 years back in, like, 2010 or whatnot, when I was a teenager. So, I really, really, really like this movie. Um, did so we, we mention everything? I think we might have. Um, hold on. Like there's there's nothing really to bash about this movie. Not really. I think no. uh, they Not... had historical accuracy. They did the right time period. They made the clothes right. They did the vehicles, the uniform, all that. I, I think there might have been a couple things that I picked up on that I was like, that can't actually possibly happen uh, without like them dying. But um, other than that, like that's just like any movie does that kind of shit. So like you forgive it because yeah. you're watching it, you know. But outside yeah, that, I mean, like, I don't really too. think of anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think my one, I guess, not even grape, just like thing I think could have, uh, it, this story just seemed a little generic. It seemed like I've heard this story before about a boy finding like an alien or a monster and becoming his pet. But like, it was done really well. So, like, I completely forget that. I well, it wasn't even I, just. I guess it's because of that many movies you watch, but I don't even think of it like that. You know, there's a lot of monsters or aliens or, you know, creatures or whatever movies yeah. that we've watched. And, I mean, this is just another one of those types of movies. But the way they did it yeah, was exactly. so much different that you did, I didn't even notice it, really. Oh, oh, I have one. What? I have something. What? This movie had gotten one of the biggest throw it into the other side of the court, lay up pass. Whatever you want to call it, put the ball right next to the hole in golf for a second movie, a sequel. And we're never going to get it. They had written, they actually, uh, if I remember correctly, because I was doing a little bit of research, um, they had actually planned on having this as a sequel. Wait, they if planned you look on at having the a ending. sequel to this movie. It, it's just, it, it's, it just shows him coming to back together, and then there might have been more. I don't even care if it's like one of those. You know, those trash ones. Just give me a sequel. Please. Well, they set it <laughs> like, up for one. It's I'm just not. at the I end. They, 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 it's an open-ended ending. Yeah, it's open-ended. I, I don't know. I, I think it does well just on its own. Hell, I mean, even The Lion King got a sequel. And that movie was literally perfect. 
What the, Disney will sequel everything. Yeah, they but will literally everything. sequel the Iron Giant. Yeah. Don't they already own every fucking company in existence for animated films except for like <laughs> Studio Ghibli? Sequel this. Okay, that's just end of rant. I'm done. Alrighty, guys. So we got to move over because uh, we're at fifty-five minutes in. Um, is it or isn't it? I'm gonna start with Dan because you already know what John's gonna say. Uh, yes, I do believe this is. Um, it it's an it is a definite yes for cult classic. I think this could have actually been like a classic if it was just marketed better or came out in maybe like a in a different month or a different year. But it's definitely a cult classic because it didn't have a lot of uh, success initially. But I think just it so many kids gravitated towards it, and I think it's actually bigger now because so many people grew up with it, even though their their parents didn't take them to uh, to see it. I was actually gonna. I was actually gonna like mention that day. Like, um, at first when I watched, I still can't believe this movie is like a cult classic, right? It just doesn't. I don't know why. I just don't think it is. But I do agree that it is a cult classic because, by definition, it didn't do well in the box office, and now it does better. But it was one simple step away from never being a cult classic. It would have just been one of those great two D animated films that everyone remembers from the nineties. You know, yep. but only because it was just happened to be marketed not so great and didn't land on a great day. So, yeah, it's a cult classic, but it hurts me to say that because now I feel old. I would also agree. I think it's a cult classic. I think uh, I think part of the marketing would definitely would have been the reason why when it was released was probably why, because, you know, The Sixth Sense was such a huge hit. And then on top of that, I think at the time, like movies like Toy Story were really, really, really big. So I think having like a 2D animated movie probably wasn't as much of a drawing factor for people, but the story was pretty good. And it definitely, I agree, it could have been like one of those classic movies that people liked to watch over and over again. I think, though, it may have ended up becoming a cult classic, not just because of the marketing and stuff like that, but because of the way that um, people well, reacted to the bad. movie. Well, no, it, people reacted to the movie because as a anti-gun movie, and you know how people are as adults with that. I think also there are some points in this movie that I think probably wouldn't have made sense to us as kids, like a lot of the TV shows that we did, and that maybe parents may not have viewed fondly on. Um, like with the chloroform, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah Things like dark. that. That that could have also been detrimental to um, whether or not it became like a classic. But I mean, outside that, if that if those weren't any of the um, if that's the darkest about. things about this movie that make it so people don't you know didn't or didn't like it or didn't appreciate it, then I'm just upset because then people like the previous movie we watched or in all the other cult classics like yeah. Well, they're cult yeah. classics. You know, people love the Avengers. People love right. the Avengers, right? Different, different. So, I don't know. Different generation, though. Different generation. Violence is yeah. more common in movies now than it is when it was then. The Kill Bill was shocking back then. Now it's like, all right, this is just an average movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, Kill Bill now is just like, eh, it's just a, it's a really bad, it's a really badly written sword drama. I love it. <laughs> all right, so let's rate the movie. All right. I mean. 
I'm pretty sure everyone knows what my rating is. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, this is a solid ten for me. Not only is this one of my favorite childhood movies, but it's still a movie even now. I get glued to the seat. I had popcorn and beer, and I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And I think I might actually get some like merch from this movie, like a poster, and put it on my wall. Like I love this movie, man. Tattoo it on your bitch. Yeah, yeah, dude. This is. I want a shirt now, dude. Come on. <laughs> Fucking wear a Halloween costume. I'll be the Iron Giant. All right. All right, Danny boy, go I, ahead. I will go. Um, this movie's an it for me. Uh, very good. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I uh, just enjoyed the experience of watching this movie. Again, as I mentioned, it just feels like it's a movie that I I never saw it initially, so I don't have that like childhood attachment to it. And also, just I feel like the story I've, I've kind of seen before in other movies. Maybe that's not something I can really blame it for because some of these movies were probably after this movie came out. So, but that's why it's a uh, eight for me. Yeah, nostalgia factor drove mine definitely to a 10. Um, Nadine? So I would say I'm between a 7 and 8, so I'm going to give it a 7.5. It's got a lot of things that I really do love about it because I like, I, I'm, I'm a history nerd, so I like I like the accuracy accuracy with the history. That's it hit, hit all the good parts. Um, I do like the story. I like the way they put it together. I think I probably wasn't as in love with it as John was or as maybe... Dan was. I'm sorry. I'm pet sitting right now, and her fucking kitten is going insane. If you hear any noises in the background, that's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> she literally like there's a there's a a tree in here like a in a, like a giant pot, and the cat like just flew out of nowhere <laughs> to the top, like the top of the tree and then fell off onto the ground. I was like, what are you doing? All right, <laughs> distractions. So I, I I mean there's I think for me. The reason why I probably don't love it as much as those guys, even though I absolutely definitely do like this movie. Um, <clears throat> I feel like out of all the cult classics that I've seen, it, it's just, it doesn't hit that those buttons for me as, as hard as some of the other ones. This, to me, should have probably been a classic movie for the reasons that I mentioned before and the isn't or isn't section is probably the reason why I didn't. But I think... It should have been a cult. Cla- it shouldn't have been a cult classic. It should have just been a straight classic. Can and I get a? Me, uh, can I get an honest uh, request from you, Nadine? What would you rate it up? if we were not doing it as a cult classic, <laughs> just as a standard movie? Probably at an eight, but it would only be 0.5 more, and I'd probably just about the same. Okay, so justifiably then. Okay. Yeah. yeah no. Um. To me. I kind of like how Nadine, whenever she gets like a really shitty horror movie, all of a sudden the rating has to be above a six, right? Um, for me, it's like uh, if it's an animated, if it's animated, if it's in two D, it's already at minimum a seven, at minimum. So there wasn't really much further to go, and this is one of my favorite movies. So I'll just be honest with myself, and this was a ten. This was a fifth element for me for a kids movie. Hey, it's better. It's the best animated ratings uh, me or Nadine gave. Well, I guess Roger Rabbit kind of half counts. Yeah, um, but yeah, I have to ask you guys: Are you guys ever gonna vote anything at ten? Yeah, I have. When I get to when I get to my 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 favorites, my like like if we get ever get to like Clue, that's a fucking ten for me. Um, The Big Lebowski. It's a fucking 10 for me. I'm sorry. Have you ever seen the well, Big Lebowski? I'll, I'll tell that you this shit right is now. Amazing. I'll tell you this right now. Even if Dan hadn't done a 10 yet, which I'm not sure if he has. Have you, Dan? 
Uh, I might have. Okay, well, we're going to have one literally next episode. It's going to be a fucking 10, so... I asked for alert, but... (laughs) (laughs) 9.75. They could have had better graphics. (laughs) Dan is the cutest Star Um, Wars nerd I've ever met, so just putting it out there. (laughs) I I work in a comic shop now, and I have to tell you, I think I've met bigger... Okay, oh, you know what? And we do have a comic. We do have a Star Wars section in our shop, Dan. So if you want to come down, yeah. All right, but uh, Dan, would we recommend this? Yes, I uh, definitely recommend it. Um, it's a movie that even as an adult you can go back and watch it, even if you haven't seen it as a kid, you will enjoy it. It's just a pleasant animated film. Agreed, Nadine. Yeah, um, I would definitely recommend it. I it's. As a kid, I think it would be a good movie to show kids because, you know, it's supposed to be a kid's movie. Um, And as an adult, I think the movie has enough depth to it that will actually definitely keep your attention and make you think, you know. So it's and it's a feel good movie. So if you're in a mood for something that's kind of feel good, like John and Dan said, you definitely pop it in, uh, eat some popcorn, drink a beer, have some fun. (laughs) Okay, Um, I would absolutely recommend it. In fact, uh. If Dan and Nadine ever come down, they're going to probably be watching this movie with me. Um, so I I just have to tell you this movie's great, and uh, you will enjoy it and watch it with me. Yep, I recommend it. All right, Nadine, it's time to close it out. So if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. Snazzy is spelled S-N-A-S-Y. Or at Snazzy Podcast on Instagram. Or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us get out there and have more people find us. We would really like to have, even if it's just like 30 people, but they're all interactive with us, that would be great. I would, I would like to talk to more cult movie fans. Um, and have them give John shit. Uh, just as a heads up, we will be okay. reviewing. <laughs> we will be reviewing Dan's pick. If you don't already know, Star Wars released in 1977. So uh, make sure to tune in again. That episode will be released on December 2nd, um, and it'll probably be a long one because I like Star Wars, but I don't I like, Star, like Wars Star Wars as much as John does. And John and I combined do not like Star Wars <laughs> nearly as much as Dan does. <laughs> Um, yeah, especially this one, um, but I do give it, I, I just watched it again recently, like in the past year, so I will give it food for thought and say it's gonna be good, but I don't know why the fuck it's on a freaking cult classic list to begin with, but you know, whatever, we're gonna watch it. Yeah, I think that's more of a debate than, uh, for me, that's (laughs) more of a debate than the rating of the movie. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, God. Alrighty, guys. Bye. Bye. See you guys.